Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. There's no special announcements or anything, so let's jump right into it. A new Kickstarter campaign was just funded for a service called PyPacker, and I have some mixed thoughts on it, mostly positive actually, but I definitely wanted to start with one thing. Um, the picture on the Kickstarter, at first glance, almost gives you the impression that PyPacker is a console that reads cartridges, and it's not that at all. I'll get back to what that thing is in a minute, but PyPacker is simply a service that you use through your web browser to play ROMs. Now, the service uh, is free for everybody, I believe at least for 2021 for basic features. You could pay to have a lifetime subscription through the Kickstarter, and then I believe there's going to be three months for 60. I would assume that means it's 20 bucks a month after the Kickstarter ends. And... Um, it has a bunch of games built in, and it's a mixture of some really cool titles. And I mean, I'm sorry to be negative, but I got to be honest. And some of those uh, companies that just buy IP of old games and re-release them, knowing that collectors might probably buy them, but they're terrible games anyway. There's a bunch of those on there too, but there's some definite good ones. Uh, Xeno Crisis is on there that always stands out. It's an awesome game. So. The other thing too is if you have a premium subscription, you could add your own ROMs. And you might be thinking already, like, well, why would I even care about this? You know, why would I care about playing in a web browser when I could just load up my own ROM into an emulator? Um, <clears throat> if it was single player use, I would actually totally agree, except the multiplayer thing is key here. And that's what sets this apart. And not so much the multiplayer, but the ease of use. So you sign up for an account, you know, free allows you to play the games that they offer. Um, uh, premium allows you to load your own ROMs. But the bottom line is, I could sign up for a premium account, fire up uh, whatever ROM that I really want, Tech Mobile, Bases Loaded, some old school game, <clears throat> and then uh, through the web browser, it's going to be Chrome or Edge, you click a button and you could add your webcam, you add your microphone, and then you click another button and you get an invite link that I could just email to a friend. They, and all they need is, I mean, I guess you could play with a keyboard, but all they would need is a USB controller. So setup on the other end is plug your USB controller into your computer, click on the link, that's it. And I know a lot of people listening are probably going, well, I could do all that right now. <laughs> you know, all I have to do is set up a VPN or load up Parsec or do, you know, and that's all true, except the ease of use is what sets this apart. And I, I know so many people that enjoy retro games that either are not nerds like we are, or um, they are, but they don't have the time to deal with any of that stuff. I mean, as nerds, how many times in our lives have we gone to do something unique and different and we end up spending an hour and a half in the setup and 20 minutes doing whatever it is that we planned on doing? That's like, that's been my life for years now. <laughs> so having something where I could just say, hey, I need to chill out. You want to play around to bases loaded and then just, you know, plug my USB controller in, click on a link to something and start playing with a friend online. 
yeah, it's not going to have as low, la- <coughs> low latency as Parsec or some of those others, but it's going to be a decent solution for casual gameplay. Um, uh, they've been having a bunch of paid posts uh, or paid videos go out for people to demo it. I have not been paid. I don't, I don't take paid posts at all for retro stuff. I would totally take paid subscriptions for like my own beer for Casper mattress. I totally spread out on a Casper mattress and try to sell that. Uh, but I just, it's kind of my own personal, I don't judge other people for doing it. But my own personal thing is I don't take sponsored posts for stuff that I do. Um, because if I don't like it, I will absolutely tell everybody. Um, but this, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, the cough's still going to be here for a few more weeks. This seems really neat for casual play. The other thing I got to mention, and uh, this is a positive thing, I promise, stick with me. I've been doing retro RGB for over 10 years now. And whenever something new like this comes out, I always reach out and ask some questions. And it's usually, hi, I'm Bob from retro RGB. Here's what I do. Here's a couple of technical questions. I have more technical questions. Who do I talk to? And there's always only two responses to that. Number one is completely being ignored. Uh, or, or maybe I get one response and then they realize I, I really am doing technical stuff and they completely ghost me after that. And response number two is from people who are very excited to talk about the hard work that they put into their platforms. They love answering the technical questions because they're really proud of, of how they got here. And I'm very happy to say that the Pie Packer team uh, was fell into the second good category here. Uh, you know, they have a bunch of people that they paid to do these videos. They could have very well just said, we're only going to spend our time you know, emailing with the people that paid us or that we paid because we paid them. So let's spend our time with them. And they took the time to respond to my emails and answer my technical questions. I, uh, I kind of spelled everything out here in a pretty detailed post if you want the technical answers to stuff. Um, but I, I thought that was a really good sign because while this isn't for everybody, the fact that they're proud to say, you know, here's all the software we're using. It's all open sourced. We're not stealing commercial software. Here's the latency results that we got, which is about uh, three to five frames over local play latency. So for casual gameplay, like I keep using tech mobile and bases loaded. I think that would be completely fine for casual gameplay like that. So I like it. <laughs> I really like it from that perspective of let's sign up from a service. Let's load up some ROMs. And whenever I want to do something casual, I could just play across the internet with a friend and not have to mess around with setup. That being said, I would never run a game tournament on something that hasn't been fully tweaked for lag. I think um, I know there was a couple of retro tournaments that used Cloud Parsec that even the pro gamers thought it was totally good enough, especially when there was lockdown and there were no other choices. But, you know, no one really thought that it, it severely took away from the experience. Obviously, you'd always want to be in person on real hardware for tournaments, but, you know, it was a really good close second. And I don't know if this would if this would hold up to that. I'm just assuming that the super nerds that are really dialing in every possible setting are probably going to get a little less latency, but that's not what PyPacker is about at all. So uh, the only downsides to it, I guess, is that um, that device that I showed before, that is basically a ROM dumper for your cartridges that, unless I'm reading the the, uh, Kickstarter wrong, only works with PyPacker. So if I, I could be wrong, but that to me seems totally useless. At first, I thought, you know what? I need a ROM dumper. I think I'm going to buy that thing. I'll sign up for PyPacker, see how it works. And I'll use that to dump whatever cartridges I get for whatever adapters I get. And I think their documentation said that you can't do that. 
So to me, that makes it useless. Why wouldn't you then just go get any other ROM dumper on the market, dump your own cartridges that way, and now you could use it for multiple reasons, backing up and restoring save games, all that stuff. Um, I might be wrong about that, so we'll see. The only other thing to add is they were nice enough to give me a beta account for basically early access to the free edition, and I just have not had any time to get around to doing that. Um, I'll be honest, if I had the ability to load my own ROMs, I probably would have dropped what I was doing to try Tech Mobile or Contra or something, but I absolutely will swing back around to it. Uh, I don't think this is for everybody. I just think this is the people that want casual play with no real setup that you can just click in your browser and, and start playing these games. Um, but I do think the super nerds will probably stick with the free solutions out there uh, that, or, or the solutions that maybe aren't free, like the, doing the cloud stuff that um, you know th that's really going to be tweaked for exactly your need at that time. So please check out the post if you want more technical info. Uh, I tried to give a basic overview here for anybody that was interested in it and kind of sum things up and put it into perspective. But there's a lot more info in the post, and I will probably do a live stream on this at some point soon. The game Voyage of Sorceress's Vacation was just released as a physical copy for the Sega Master System. So some background on this game, it was released last year as a free-to-download ROM and is still totally free to download if you'd like to, and it's actually a ROM patch to Alex Kidd in Miracle World. And while the controls are similar, it's a completely different game and did feel pretty unique. And the reason I'm talking about it now is because of the newly released physical release, which I got a copy of, and I really liked a lot. I thought it was high quality. It's beveled edges and hard gold, so it's at least um, safe to use in uh, in all of your consoles and everything. Uh, and also, Stika did a really great review on it. So we also worked together and did a live stream, which I had an absolute blast doing. And I want to make sure that I'm clear about that because I get so frustrated so time, so many times while I was playing. However, it's the type of frustration in a video game where it's motivating. <clears throat> and when you get back into it, it's rewarding when you beat a part. Um, there were only a couple of cheap shots, and I say that with love because I played a couple modern games in the past few years where there were a few spots I was stuck on where it's just like, this is the cheapest, you know, most frustrating and non-rewarding section of a game. There was one in particular that I just, I don't know if it was hit detection or jump detection or, or maybe even just the input lag of my controller, but I must have played one part of a modern game like a hundred times to get past it. And when I finally did, there was no satisfaction of, yeah, I beat that. It was just like, wow, what a waste of my time for a part of the game that isn't fun at all. It was just annoying and shouldn't have been, you know, it's more of a bug than anything else. There was none of that in this game at all. None. So I just want to make sure that anybody that watches the live stream that sees me get frustrated and make silly comments and stuff like that, it was the opposite of that horrible modern game experience that I just had. Uh, it was like, okay, you know, a couple of times it was totally my mistake. It was like getting me pumped up to do it. And I got decently far, so, you know, not embarrassingly short into the game, uh, but I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot, and I'm really glad that I bought the game. So uh, if you're into this game um, at all, definitely check out Stika's review, because it's short to the point uh, and really gets you an exact feel of what you would want in the game or, or what to expect from the game. If you want a deeper dive, check out the live stream we did, or if you just want to try it yourself, check out the links, patch your own ROM copy of it and give it a try. Uh, and if you like it, definitely pick up the physical copy because I thought it was really good quality. 
Here is some super exciting news for any fans of people that like to use original arcade hardware. Marcus has just ported his incredible CPS HDMI project to the Neo Geo MV1C. And that board was specifically chosen for a bunch of reasons. Uh, it's most commonly used to consoleize, and all of the signals can be pulled digitally. Uh, right now, it's only that one motherboard revision. I think when Marcus has time, he might update it to others, but he's super busy with the OSSC Pro, so I wouldn't expect that in the short term. But this is really cool. This is a digital-to-digital conversion of the signal so it's not like you're using an upscaler which upscalers are amazing but no matter how good a scaler you get you'll always get some kind of analog interference in there I mean, it's at the point now where mostly you can't see it at all when gaming on a flat panel, only really when zooming in. But some people have an eye for it, and when you go digital to digital, there is none of that whatsoever. It's got all of the same features of the CPS HDMI, so if you're wondering what to expect, please check out the original video I did on that. It'll be mostly the same. Uh, I still have that at Jose's, who did the installation for me. I haven't gotten mine back yet. But I will definitely be following up with a video in probably a week or so. I also just want to check with Avram uh, from uh, the, one of the creators of the OpenMVS project to see how he's doing with the, the custom shell for it. The only other thing to add is due to the location of the board, it's most likely that it's just going to be an HDMI port sticking out the side of the case. Um, now, obviously, that's not ideal. We would all love to have it lined up in back to look pretty like something you you would see <laughs> from a factory however the issue is not the mounting it's the um, the proximity to the digital locations where you're tapping the signal so you can't do something like stick this board underneath the motherboard and then just run the wires all the way over the board needs to be as close to the installation spots as possible so i guess a custom board could be made but it's not really cost effective especially when you consider uh, qa time and stuff like that so at the moment, I believe the HDMI port's going to be on the side. You can get some cheap but good quality right-angle HDMI cables so it doesn't look too ugly. But we're also still looking into different ways to try to run the, uh, the HDMI port around the back. So I wanted to post this now because it was already posted publicly and... Um, I just wanted to make sure people knew what it is that they were seeing, but I will absolutely be following up with a detailed video in a few weeks going through it, because while I'm a massive fan of the Mr. and I use it all the time, uh, there's just some of us crazy people out there that insist upon using original hardware. There's no right or wrong answer. They're both awesome. But if you're crazy like me and you insist upon using original boards and your original games, this is going to be by far the best way for streamers because you're going to get just the most perfect streams possible with these. Uh, but also if you just play on a low lag flat panel, it's great. Um, I think the the couple of lines buffered plus you know a really low lag panel, you're talking a millisecond of lag, which is zero. When it comes to actually playing, that's in your brain, zero. So uh, it seems like an amazing choice and I can't wait to take a look at it in person. So just wanted to keep everybody updated, but definitely expect a video at some point. My Life in Gaming just uploaded a video that showcased downscaling, which is essentially taking higher resolution games 
removing some of the resolution or squishing it together depending on the downscaling method and displaying it on CRTs. And this is a pretty cool choice for people that want to play modern retro games, things like Axiom Verge and Sonic Mania, on a CRT. Because games like that uh, definitely feel right at home in 240p on a CRT. And there's also some other modern games that might be a fit as well. But I guess the basic rule of that is if it's a game that uses all of the resolution, so even if it has a retro feel, but it's really designed to use every bit of the 720p or 1080p output, it often doesn't look very good downscaled. Text is a perfect example of that. Text almost never looks good uh, unless it's like a, a virtual console game of an older console downscaled down or something like that. But overall, it's something that I've been using for years now, and I really love doing it with certain games. Um, I'll have some own ex some of my own examples in a few weeks, but definitely check out the My Life in Gaming video if you're interested. Um, you know, there's always different issues when you're downscaling. There's aspect ratio issues. There is making sure to line things up. Uh, so if you're using a downscaler that removes lines, that's totally fine. But how do you know which ones they're removing? Uh, there's different methods that you could implement. Uh, you could use like a an Extron box to, to center it. And I think, uh, and rightfully so, Corey really spent the time on the games and not not you know, spending and obsessing, uh, spending time and obsessing over how exactly to deal with all of this stuff. Um, so I contributed some footage for that, that I had laying around that I was waiting to do my own downscaling video on, but I decided to go a different route. So there is some nerdiness in the video brought by me, but Corey really concentrated on how these games look and feel, which I think is super important because, you know, like I said before, there might be a newer game that you think, oh, that would probably look neat on a CRT and it looks terrible and vice versa. There's probably a couple other games that Corey showed that you would have never guessed looked so good on a CRT that do. So please check that out if you're interested in this stuff. I'll be following up soon because there's a few devices coming out this year um, that have downscaling capabilities that may be the best choices out there. Um, I'm going to be touching upon that a little bit in some videos coming up and I might do like a new at the end of the year, probably a shootout of the different devices and how they compare to the older versions. But overall, <coughs> the GBS control that Corey showed in the video is awesome. Uh, the newer stuff coming out is great too. And I'm just a bigger fan of downscaling than, than I probably should be. I probably play way too many games downscaled than I should just enjoy on a flat panel. But it is definitely a neat thing to do. I just posted a video that suggests people take their 240p and 480i console games and scale them to five times their original height in a 1080p window. And this is a video I've wanted to do for a very long time, except there was one huge problem in that the most popular way to get 5x mode was with the open source scan converter. And since that's essentially a, a line doubler, tripler, quadrupler, without any kind of buffer for compatibility, it, it resulted in a lot of flat panels not being compatible with that mode. Um, it's, <clears throat> it's not the OSSC's fault. It's absolutely doing its job. It's just the fact that we're taking these weird consoles from the analog era and trying to use them on modern stuff. However, I felt now is the right time because the Mr. supports 5X and it's compatible with every TV. And there's tons of other scalers coming out. There's other options being released. PS1 Digital just added it, I believe. Uh, so you could really get this method on your flat panels and not worry about compatibility. So the short version of why, the long version is obviously the video, most games from consoles, not arcade games, 
were designed with overscan in mind. So what you lose by cutting off the top and the bottom is about the same or sometimes less than you would lose just playing on a CRT. And by zooming in that, uh, that much farther, you have no black bars on the top and the bottom, you cut off borders, and you fill um, horizontally more of the flat panel space without changing the aspect ratio. There's a bunch of other uh, advantages, but it's basically uh, you get more screen real estate and it very often is closer to the original look of the game anyway, so it's definitely a trade-off for me. I definitely wanted to mention why you wouldn't want to use 5X mode, though, and I did go over this in the video, but uh, I think most people probably started commenting before they got to that point because there was definitely some confusion, but the, when, the situations in which you wouldn't want to use it Definitely, if you're using a monitor that's 1200p or 1440p and your scaler or the mister supports it, uh, because computer monitors, at least in my experience, don't scale anything that's not their native resolution as well as TVs do. So the advantage of just running in its native resolution is going to get you a much sharper image, whereas 1080p 5x on a 4K TV versus 1440p on a 4K TV, you'll notice the sharpness difference but it's not nearly as big of a deal, and I still think the benefits of 1080p 5X are better. Um, so that's number one. Number two would be some arcade games. Pretty much everything from the 80s still looks awesome in 5X mode, but once you get into the stuff from the mid-90s and on, now you're taking uh, console or arcade hardware Sorry, that's much more powerful, that can use the full resolution, and it's also designed to be assembled in a factory where people are plugging these things into RGB monitors and calibrating them from the factory to make sure that nothing's cut off. So that's where you would definitely <laughs> definitely run into it. Um, I would still recommend trying it first, but that's probably another one. And I did ask in the video, I have a pinned comment that asked for people to post console games that they know the menu uh, and that this actual gameplay is cut off, not the menu and not um, title screens or something like that. But I asked for people to say, hey, you know, have you found a console game that's 240p or 480i that cuts off in 5x mode? during actual gameplay and i got no real responses i got a bunch of people uh, you know respectfully just agreeing with what i said in the video about arcade games a few people mentioned vertical shooters but didn't actually give any examples of ones other than arcade games which we've already determined of course so i'm really curious has anybody found a game from a console that's 240p or 480i that has gameplay affected and the only other criteria is all of these solutions, including the open source scan converter, allow you to raise or lower the image based on settings. The OSSC has it kind of buried, but the rest of them are pretty easy. Hopefully Marcus, if he, ever, if he has time, I know he's super busy, uh, would someday add easy vertical centering the same way he did with the CPS HDMI stuff. But that's the other factor too, because every game that I found where it was like, oh, it's not bad, but this could be better. If you just adjusted the vertical height, it's perfect. So if anybody knows of a game where gameplay is actually affected, please let me know. I would love to know just for my own personal curiosity, but so far there's zero. Nobody has, uh, nobody has posted one other than arcade games, of course. So console game, 240p, 480i, gameplay only, what's affected and i i haven't found a single one including through the ps2 era so and just to be clear if 
a pixel or two of your life bar is cut off, but you could still see the entire life bar. I don't consider that affecting gameplay. However, the example I used in the video <coughs> of a CPS2 game, it cuts the whole life bar off. So yes, obviously that would be a huge detriment to playing. So uh, sorry for rambling on about this when I already have a 10, 12 minute video on it, but it's something that I've felt very strongly about. And there's so many misconceptions out there uh, that I just <laughs> really wanted to get the word out. And I also wanted to ask all of you wonderful people if I was wrong and if there are a couple of games out there that you know for sure screenshots are always appreciated too that cuts off too much in 5x mode so anyway I hope you enjoyed the video I certainly had fun doing it I'm, I'm glad to be getting back into doing videos again I was out for like a month probably more than that so hopefully people enjoy it and hopefully I'm, I'm spreading the correct word of 5x scaling I recently did a podcast with Louis Cezaron, who is a comedian uh, and also a retro gaming fan who just started a retro gaming channel. I actually planned on doing this interview months ago before he even jumped into the retro stuff, so that was just a fun bonus. Um, I'm going to be doing more podcasts like this. This is half retro gaming tech talk and half two buddies hanging out, uh, I guess is the best way to describe it. I really enjoy doing these. I love the lighthearted nature of them. And I, I really, myself personally, very much enjoys listening to podcasts of people hanging out like this, talking about things that are entertaining to me. And I, I just think that this is something I really like doing. Um, I've asked a bunch of times now, do people get upset when it's not a super formal, like, let's talk nerd, or are people cool with it? Um, and, you know, should I start a second channel? And so far, everybody seems to say just do whatever you want. I don't care. If it's not something I'm interested in, I won't listen, which I actually think that's a really awesome answer. I wasn't teasing them. I, I think that's a compliment, to be honest with you. So I think that's what I'm going to be doing. I think I'm going to just be adding some more fun, laid-back podcasts because they're really fun to do. They're such a... Um, an uplifting break from some of the crazy high production stuff that I, that I do that I just I really enjoy it and especially when you get really friendly and likable people like Lewis on there so uh, please give it a listen if you want um, check out Lewis's videos too uh, he's just starting out so he has all of the same <laughs> beginner hurdles that everybody does I'm not throwing shade everybody especially me uh, went through those bumps in the road but the content's relevant he's got a video about an S video converter I actually ordered one because of his video to try out myself. Got a video about the Sega Master System in Russia. And he just did another short review of a Mr. S video converter, which I ordered one as well. So I think I'm going to be referencing his video a lot whenever I get to my post or video on it. So hopefully it was entertaining. Uh, definitely a cool thing to leave on in the background if you're just doing something else and you know want to feel like you're hanging out with people while you're doing it. Ashenworks has just released a couple of new products that are pretty interesting, and while a lot of the Ashenworks stuff is very niche for arcade, hardcore arcade people, there are some more general stuff this time, so I definitely wanted to go through that. And I also wanted to put a little caveat in there that I love the niche stuff. Just because it's not going to be something that every retro gamer wants doesn't mean it isn't important, and I'm so appreciative when people like Ashen step up and make these products, knowing that they're not going to make a million bucks off of them, but but there are a few people out there that truly appreciate it. But there's some there's some mainstream stuff in here too. So let's go through them real quick. The first is a mini super gun that's going to be selling for $90 that includes a power supply and is selectable between RGB and component video output. 
The output connector is D-sub, so if you're going directly to a monitor or a consumer TV with component, all you need is a super cheap cable. Uh, if you're going to a SCART, <coughs> a SCART setup, it gets a little more complicated, but we're working on something to fix that. Hopefully it'll be out in a week or two, Actually, maybe a little longer than that with, with how things are delayed. But I think we finally solved that one thanks to collaboration from some really amazing open source uh, fans and, and people that are working on this. But... I ordered one. I bought one myself. I'm going to be testing it. At the very least, I will do a written post. If I have time, I'll do a video. Those take, you know, a, a detailed written post takes like five to eight hours. A video takes like 20 to 50. So I'll try my best. But at the very least, I'll get the word out. And if all of the safety features are implemented, so you don't have to worry about audio <laughs> or video voltage, then I think this might actually be an excellent choice for beginners because it's a one-stop shop. You press a button, a couple weeks later, your super gun and your power supply arrive, and you don't have to worry about fumbling through stuff. And uh, I think Ashen's even selling separately some kick harnesses for games that have more than four buttons. So four buttons per player. So I will review that when it comes in, but I'm, I'm definitely excited for that. He's also got, for $60, a JAMA board that handles horizontal and vertical shift and brightness adjust. And this is ex <coughs> exactly what I wanted when I was testing my mini Mr. Cade because I had set up the Mr. or I had set up my mini arc <coughs> excuse me. I had set up my mini arcade cabinet to be the exact settings that were necessary for the Mr. But every time I would add another arcade board, things would be slightly off. As anybody that uses arcade stuff knows exactly what I mean already, because no two games are exactly alike unless they're on the same platform. So this allows you to have an external thing where I have my, you know, I have my JAMA harness hanging out. I would have this plugged into it. And then you just use this to center the image any way that you want and to adjust the brightness. And that is something that I think is so handy because all of my controls in my mini Mr. Cade are on the chassis right underneath the CRT. And they're all small little potentiometers, and I got to get in there with a screwdriver. It's a giant pain. So for me to get everything all set up for the thing that I use the most, the mister, then buy something like this, that should be set. Now I have external controls for all of that, <coughs> that stuff, and I could just kind of look around the side, you know, play with the knobs and go, all right, cool. And even if it's a little bit off, whatever, when I put it back to the mister, it's calibrated the way I had it before. So I think that's an awesome thing. I believe Scarlet Sprite's got one. I don't mean to put any pressure on you, uh, but I think he might be doing a short video on that at some point. Um, I'd certainly like to see uh, how, or his thoughts on it, because I know he has arcade machines that have external controls for that. So somebody like that, you might not actually need it, but it would be a great comparison as to how this works compared to the arcade chassis built-in controls. Next is a power supply for super guns that's $80 that comes already enclosed. So you don't have to buy a 3D printed case. You don't have to buy any adapters for it. Uh, you would just have to buy the power supply, grab your, your cord, and you would only have to worry about going from the PSU to your board or your super gun. And I believe Ashen's working on um, pigtail adapters for that exact reason. So um, obviously, I'm always nervous when it comes to power. Um, that is not a shot on Ashen. That is 
every power supply I've ever seen in my life. Is it CE rated? Uh, is it made consistently? What are the capacitors like inside? What happens when it's under load? You know, am I going to take this power supply and slowly kill my my arcade board, or is it going to be a solid solution? Uh, so I would love to get one. Uh, I would actually love somebody who's more of a power expert to get one to put that under some stress testing and see how it compares to like the Meanwell power supplies that are out there. Or maybe it is a version of a mean well stuck inside a custom chassis. I don't know. I would love to get more info on that, though, because $80 isn't cheap. But considering that it's a completed unit with a case, it's also not expensive either. So that's something that's pretty interesting. Um, Ashton also has a $40 USB to DB15 adapter. Um, I guess this is going to be similar in nature to the Undamned adapter and to the, uh, I believe it's called USB to DB15, the open source project. Um, Ashton said he's not using the open source stuff. This was his design and he expects it to be about one millisecond of lag. Um, I would certainly like to test it myself, not because I don't trust him, just because, you know, it's it's always good to double check things like that. But it seems like a decent adapter. Of course, whatever controller you plug into it might have its own latency as well. But as long as you use something that maybe Porkchop Express from Mr. Add-ons uh, already tested, he's got that sheet pinned to his Twitter account that tests, lag tests all of these different types of controllers, that might be a good solution. The only other thing I have to add to that is I, I love that there's different choices for products. Um, you know, there's three of these different adapters out there now, but I would love to see some unique features and maybe whoever's working on them add whatever their, uh, you know, whatever their expertise is. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just like pens, right? No one would call me a, you know, a cloner if I said I want to make my own pen, but a perfectly reasonable question would be, well, why would I want to buy that instead of just go on Amazon and, and buy some for a dollar? And, you know, it might be design, it might be look, it might be a feature that nobody else has, but I would love to see that implemented in one of these adapters, just something that nobody else currently has. I believe the Undamned has quite a bit of different customization functions in there, so we'll see. But um, I guess if you're already ordering stuff from Ashen and you wanted a USB converter, it might just be easy to buy everything from the same spot. And hopefully somebody, especially an arcade expert, could do a shootout of these three solutions and see if any one is better than the other or if they're all just as awesome as I think they are and just slightly different. And lastly, this is the only real niche thing, is a spinner button combo. So it's an arcade button with a spinner built into it that I guess is designed for Forgotten Worlds, I believe. Um, and it's kind of an interesting thing. That is definitely niche. Uh, you would only really need that if uh, if you're using the specific games that, that take advantage of it. Ashen has a list of all of the games that he believes would work with it. So that's pretty cool. But um, I mean, just in all honesty, I, I really like all of these products. Um, I, I'm looking forward to testing more of them, and I definitely wanted to take the time to talk about them because while, as I said before, these aren't for everybody, there's a guarantee there's somebody listening right now going, that weird thing you just talked about, that's exactly what I need for my setup. So uh, while I might not have time to do videos on this stuff, I do like to spend time talking about it on the weeklies just because I figure if you're not interested, you could skip to the next section. And if you are, hey, maybe I was able to inform you about something that's a good thing for your setup that you didn't know about before. The digital audio switch available on Tindy is now back in stock and available for purchase. This is the same switch that Dave Dirks was the reviewed a while back uh, and found it to work really well. 
Ronnie has all the details here in the post, but essentially it comes in three different versions. Uh, the biggest version has four optical audio inputs. So the digital SPDIF Toslink, I don't know, there's so many names for it. It's the one that uses the beam of light to send audio. Uh, it also has three RCA inputs. So that's digital over RCA connectors. There's other versions that have just seven optical inputs or four optical inputs. And each of them, I believe, has two outputs, one optical and then one digital over RCA. Uh, and this is really perfect for people that want digital audio from their consoles without having to switch. At the moment, I do use every console that I have digitally audio modded. Uh, I do use that, but I have to unplug and replug each time I set it up. So this would be a pretty big help. Uh, there's a bunch of consoles that output optical audio natively. Um, some require a mod, and I've always found it to be significantly cleaner. Now, it's not necessarily better. Uh, if you use a good shielded cable, you're not going to have annoying hum where you shouldn't. Uh, but it's not a bad experience. And I guess some people might like that that analog warmth hum coming through their, their stereo system to have a more original feel. But for me personally, I do like a clean audio signal. Um, and I've definitely found, even on consoles like the Super Nintendo, where you could do the optical audio mod for that, it's a significant difference in clarity. You don't get any audio hum, especially on things like all-white screens, like the Konami opening. And I really preferred using my Super Nintendo that way. So uh, if you have a bunch of consoles and you use your optical audio output, definitely check out Ronnie's post and uh, for all the info you'd need now and Dave's original review if you wanted to know how it performed and some thoughts on it. Modern Vintage Gamer just posted a video talking about how he ported Shantae for the Game Boy Color to the Switch. And I really love inside info like this. Um, MVG is always great doing these videos where he's able to explain really technical stuff in a way that pretty much anybody could understand it. Although I do admit sometimes I have to rewind it and... And not this one, but some of his super technical ones. I got to go back and listen again and go, okay, I get it now. But uh, this is a, a really great overview for how a game is ported, um, how he built an emulation engine just to do this, and kind of the backstory behind it. Uh, I thought it was really entertaining and just a great mix of nerdiness and an and entertaining video. The one thing he said that absolutely got me you know, perked up is... Uh, when making this game, he went back and compared the input latency from the original game on a Game Boy Color to how it felt when playing through a Switch, and there was definitely some at first that he was able to tweak, but I would love a follow-up video that talks just about how they were able to determine input latency and tweak it and lower it. Uh, I think that's something that, while I know people might think I'm obsessed with lag, it is something that developers, at the very least, should be obsessed over. Because when you're using an original console, you really didn't have that much input latency to deal with. You know, the average time from when you press a button to when there's movement on the screen is usually a couple of frames, which is totally fine. However, on these modern consoles with Bluetooth input lag, emulation lag in this case, lag of your flat panel, even if it's in game mode, it's often two or three times more than the original. So uh, I would be so interested to hear MVG talk about how exactly he got the lag down and what the ratings were and how, you know, what he felt about it. I could always lag test the port versus the original, but 
I think it'd be much more exciting to hear the development process of it. You know, typical me, right? MVG puts out a great video that I like, and I'm immediately asking for more. Sorry, I don't mean to be such a greedy ass, but um, but it did perk my interest up or pique my interest, whatever you want to say. Uh, so hopefully he'll do a follow-up on that at some point. But definitely check out the video if you're interested in uh, porting games, how something like that might be done, and um, and, and basically the stuff that goes into it. The demo of Castlevania Resurrection that had surfaced, and John talked about it a few weeks ago when he filled in for me, has now been released to the public. I guess there was some drama behind it. <laughs> um, they tried to sell it on eBay. Uh, the I think the uh, people who made the soundtrack said that the, you know they, they shouldn't sell it. I, I don't know which was rumor and which was confirmed, but all drama aside, the bottom line is the person who found it has now released it. It's available for anybody to download and try themselves. And it is definitely an, an early build of a game, so don't expect anything that's you know super completed and a perfect game to play. But it's still really awesome that we all get a glimpse of what this game would have been. Um, even if you're not a fan of the 3D Castlevania stuff, I still think it would be really interesting to fire it up and just kind of get a feel of what to what it would have been like if you had gotten it. So uh, definitely check out the links. Um, thanks to to the people who ended up releasing it. Um, I think people, uh, you know, I think people get a lot of hate when the when they try to sell stuff that really should be for everybody. But I kind of see both sides of that, right? Especially if you're broke and struggling with everything going on right now. You know, it would be very tempting to sell that and hope that the person you sold it to releases it to the public. I don't know. I, you know, I'm not in dire straits. So, uh, you know, I, I would like to say that I would just release it and, and you know, hope for the best and maybe still sell it after releasing it. I think that's what I would probably do is release it to the public, then sell the demo to a collector and, and hope that I got some money. But that's just my own thoughts on it. That's not you know, that's not anything good or bad. It's just my stupid opinion. But anyway, if you're interested in playing Castlevania Resurrections, definitely check out Vanessa's post with all of the links to where to get it and a video on what it looks like. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody that watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody that supports in absolutely any way possible. I say it every week, but I really mean it. It's your support that's the only thing keeping all of this work going. The behind-the-scenes research and development, which is a giant chunk of what I do and many times the favorite, um, the uh, weekly videos, which I love doing, and some of the higher production videos, which I also love doing, but man, those things kill me sometimes. Uh, but it's all because of you. So if you like it, please spread the word. Um, and thank you very much to everybody that does already support.